Thank you all for joining us today for our service online. We really are grateful to have you with us. Looking forward to the day when we can uh, get to see you in person, worship together in person, hopefully soon. We're continuing today our One Story series. We're considering how all the books of the Bible, Old and New Testament, fit together to reveal God's great plan of redemption for His people. And today, we're looking at the first of our books of the Minor Prophets. We're looking at the book of Micah. Now, there are 12 Minor Prophets in the Old Testament. They are the final books of the Old Testament. And we're only going to be studying two of those. And if you're wondering why, it's because we're trying to do this series in one calendar year. And since there are 50, only 52 weeks in a year and 66 books in the Bible, we have to cut some out. Originally, it's uh, believed that the 12 minor prophets were one, considered one Hebrew book, one scroll. And uh, they're called minor prophets simply because they're shorter than the major prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Today, we look at the book of Micah. Micah's name, I believe, is significant. Micah's name is a God-bearing name. And by that, I mean that the name of God, Yahweh, is attached to Michael's name. The name Michael means who is like Yahweh. The A-H on the end of his name indicates uh, God's name of Yahweh. It's the same with the prophet Isaiah, for example. The name Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. Same with Jeremiah. The A-H on the end indicates uh, the name Yahweh. Jeremiah means Yahweh lifts up. And Micah means simply who is like the Lord, who is like Yahweh. Micah the prophet proclaimed God's judgment against his people, against the people of Israel. We read at the very beginning of the book of Micah in chapter 1 and verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. The passage goes on to say, Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. The Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon in the, uh, the high places of the earth. The mountains will melt under him. The valleys will split open. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. Micah, in his proclamation of judgment, especially emphasized the sins of the leaders. The leaders of God's people had apparently become quite corrupt. And we read in Micah 3, verses 1 and 2, for example, Here, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? You who hate the good and love the evil. So this is the mindset of the, the rulers, the leaders of the people. They're hating the good, loving the evil. Verse 11 of chapter 3 reads, its heads, that is, its heads of, uh, of government, civil and religious heads, give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster will come upon us. So the leaders are, are corrupt. They're driven by their love of money. And Micah is declaring judgment against them. 
But for all of the declarations of judgment in the book of Micah, there is beautiful, beautiful hope communicated in this book as well. Uh, one of the best known verses in the book of Micah is one that I suspect uh, most of you have heard at Christmas time. Often it's read in the Advent season, and it's found in Micah 5 in verse 2. It uh, really points to what we call a one-story prophecy in the book of Micah, and it reads, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And I suspect you know who that one is. That's Jesus, who would be born in Bethlehem. Micah the prophet here is predicting the place of his birth. Now, I'd like to take a, a look at the book of Micah in its entirety and look at the, the, what I believe are three major emphases that the prophet brings. And then we're going to settle on one verse and talk about how to live uh, according to that verse. Micah's message, I think, could be summarized uh, in three words, recognize, remember, and return. First of all, recognize your spiritual condition. Recognize your spiritual condition. The prophet is calling the Israelites to, to open their eyes to recognize how far they have fallen from obedience to God's word and God's ways. This, Micah says, is his calling. In chapter 3, he says, I'm filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. In other words, the Holy Spirit has called me to prophesy a declaration of judgment upon Israel for your sin. Like many Old Testament prophets, Micah emphasized primarily two sins of the people. There seem to be two predominant sins that recur throughout Old Testament history, and the prophets were called to call out. The first of those was the sin of idolatry. Idolatry is worshiping something other than the Lord himself. If you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, you know that the Ten Commandments began this way. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of uh, the, the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. No other gods. The second one says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or on earth or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. No idols. And yet the Israelites, we follow their history through the Old Testament, though they'd seen mighty miracles of God, were drawn to worship these idols that were worshipped by the nations that surrounded them. There was the belief that idols uh, gave prosperity, idols gave fertility, idols were responsible for good crops, good weather. And people's hearts were somehow drawn to worship these things that they could see, things they made with their hands rather than the Lord himself. And so Micah calls this out. The second sin that Micah focuses on, and it's common with other Old Testament prophets, is the sin of injustice. That is, unjust treatment of other people. There is a particular emphasis in Scripture on not committing injustice against the vulnerable, the poor, the oppressed, the orphans, the widows, 
And Micah again calls out this sin. In Micah 2 and verse 2, for example, he says, They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. So two sins primarily he's calling out. Idolatry and injustice. Recognize your spiritual condition. See where you are. Open your eyes. See your spiritual condition. Number two, remember. Remember who God is and what he has done for you. The passage Corey read earlier in chapter 6, we read these words. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. God's reminding his people of the exodus from Egypt. They had been slaves under Pharaoh there. He sent Moses to bring them out. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Baor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. Remember these things that God did for you as a people hundreds of years before, and you were slaves in Egypt. Remember the parting of the Red Sea? Remember the mighty miracles? Remember when uh, uh, this king tried to have you cursed and hired uh, Balaam, the son of Baor, and I wouldn't let them curse you? What's he doing? He's taking them back to their history. He's calling them to remember. There is great emphasis in Scripture on remembering what God has done for his people in the past. Particularly, we find this recurring uh, reminder by the prophets. We find it in the book of Psalms reminding the Israelites of the exodus from Egypt. One of the ways God reinforces this remembrance is by calling the Israelites to celebrate certain occasions, certain feasts, certain festivals. For example, the Passover. They were to celebrate the Passover every year to remind them how the angel of death had passed over the Jewish Israelite homes and delivered them later from from Egypt. God calls his people to reflect back on who he is. We have the ability to do that with his word, this great gift of scripture he's given us. And as Christians, the the Lord calls us to reflect upon what Jesus has done for us. For the Israelites, it was the Passover. For us, it's the Lord's Supper. Remember that Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Until he returns, we're to reflect upon what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're to celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him. So Micah says, recognize your need. Remember who God is and what he has done. And then thirdly, return. We could even substitute the word repent there. Return. Return to the one who pardons sin and delights in steadfast love. There's great hope in the book of Micah. For all the declarations of judgment, there's much hope here. Return to the one who pardons sin and delights in steadfast love. Now, let's look for a moment at Micah 7 and verse 18. Remarkable verse. Remember Micah's name. Who is like Yahweh? And the first phrase in this verse is almost a a play on those words, Micah's very name, the prophet's name. The verse begins, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. What a beautiful verse. God delights in steadfast love. God will pass over the sins just as 
He passed over the Israelites before bringing them out of Egypt. God will pass over your sins. How does he do that? How does he pass over our sins? Well, Micah tells us something the gospel of Jesus will later clarify for us. He deals with our sins for us. It's a remarkable thing in Scripture. God calls us to obey Him. We continually disobey, but God takes responsibility to remedy our sin, to deal with our sin for us. And Micah tells us about this in the very next verse in Micah 7, verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. God will tread our sins, our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Now, the question this raises is, how does God do this? Because God is just, and God has already said through the prophet Ezekiel, the soul that sins, it shall die. The soul that sins will die. You're responsible for your sins. God is a just God. How does God maintain his justice and also cast all our sins into the depths of the sea? The answer is that he does this through the Messiah, who Micah has already prophesied about, the one who will be born in Bethlehem. He does this through what we call the gospel. By allowing Jesus, the Son of God, to take our place, to bear the judgment for our sins. Because of the cross, God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The just demands of his law are fulfilled as his judgment is poured out upon Jesus Christ as if he were the guilty one. And through our faith in him, he calls us justified, just. Because of the cross, God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Micah tells us he delights in steadfast love and does this for us. And now God calls us to live in response to his steadfast love. He calls us to live out of his steadfast love. Having received the steadfast love of God, he calls his people to live out of that love in the way they conduct themselves toward others. When we receive God's steadfast love, we're then called to live it out. And the prophet Micah gives us one of the greatest models in all of Scripture for living out the steadfast love of God. He gives us this in what I think is one of the most important verses in this short book. It's Micah 6 and verse 8. And I'd like to focus on this very important verse for a few minutes today. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? The word kindness here is the Hebrew word hesed, which is rendered elsewhere in the book steadfast love. Conveys the idea of God's loyal covenant love for his people, his kindness to his people. And he then calls us to love this love and communicate it, convey it to others. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. This is a highly significant verse. 
Bible commentators, a number of commentators, suggest that this verse, Micah 6.8, is a summary of the Old Testament law. In fact, Roger Crooks, in his uh, brief commentary on books of the Bible, writes, in the Jewish tradition, Micah 6.8 is taken to be a summary of the law. A summary of the whole law. It may be that Jesus had this in mind when he spoke to the Pharisees and told them, you know, you, you uh, neglect the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, because apparently this verse says a great deal about the entirety of God's law. Now, I'd like to take a few moments um, today and just raise the question, because this, this verse is so significant, how can you and I live it out? How can you and I live as Micah 6-8 believers, Micah 6-8 Christians? How can you and I, in this angry, politically polarized, my way is the only way world in which we're in in 2020, how can you and I be people who do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God? I want to suggest a few things we can do. And I, I, I want to say this. I long that our church, River Oaks Community Church, be different. Different from the politically polarized world around us. Different from the world, uh, angry world around us. Different from, from the hate-filled uh, world around us that people recognize something different about us. They recognize that we are people who love one another, who love Jesus Christ, who love his word, that we're identified not by a political party or some particular point of view, but by our devotion to Jesus Christ and his word. How can you and I live as Micah 6, 8 Christians who do justice, Love, kindness, walk humbly with our God. I want to suggest a few ways. Number one, and this should be obvious, but rely upon the finished work of Jesus in the present power of the Holy Spirit. And I start here because it's simply not possible to walk humbly with God in the power of the Holy Spirit unless you have the Holy Spirit. Apostle Paul says something remarkable in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, the Apostle Paul writes, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You hear what he's saying? The righteous requirement of the law, which I could never keep, is fulfilled in me because of the work of Jesus on on my behalf, and he allows me to walk in the Spirit, thus fulfilling the righteous requirement of his law, fulfilling this summary of the law, Micah 6.8. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to be a Micah 6.8 believer, to do justice and, and love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. And I want to suggest some practical ways we can do that. The first is this, having received Jesus, having been filled with his Holy Spirit. 
Be willing to see things from the perspective of another person. This is critically important in our present very polarized world. Many of us live with what psychologists call confirmation bias. That is, we're always looking to reinforce the things that we already believe, the viewpoints we already have. In his very good book that's titled Them, Why We Hate Each Other and How to Heal, author Ben Sass notes that people filter out most information that conflicts with their presuppositions or desired conclusions. Sass also cites a study from Ohio State University in which people were given chances to read articles that either affirmed what they already believed or, or contradicted their ideas. The participants spent far more time reading articles that confirmed what they already thought than articles that might have taught them something new. And Sass writes, academic research is confirming what most of us see every day. People work hard to confirm their biases and not to challenge them. You'll see a diagram on the screen. Two people looking at the same thing from a different perspective. Both, each person, believes he's right. And from his perspective, he actually is. I got to tell you, it is critically important in marriage to be willing to look at something from a perspective other than your own, from the perspective of your spouse. We're living in a time when people are really unwilling to explore the perspective of another person. This is one reason why I think it is so helpful to have friends from a different ethnic, racial, or socioeconomic background. This is one reason short-term mission trips are so valuable. You live in a different culture. You get to explore different things, different foods, hear different stories, talk to people who are raised differently from you, understanding that there are different perspectives in life. I'm not talking about changing essential theological beliefs or beliefs in Scripture. I'm talking about non-essential things of like and being willing to look at something from another's perspective. Understanding your spouse in marriage, being willing to see things from their perspective for a change. I hope a lot of you are going to come to our church tonight between 6 and 8. And, and as Andrew mentioned earlier, we're going to have all kinds of uh, packaged ice cream treats from Italian ice to Nutty Buddies and stuff like that. There's one flavor of ice cream we will not have. Guinea pig. Guinea pig. That's right. World Radio reported that Maria del Carmen Pilipana has an ice cream shop in her country of Ecuador where she's added that flavor of ice cream to the menu. Her family and friends told her she was crazy, but it has become a popular seller. Guinea pig is a traditional hot dish in her country, and it's become popular there. She's thinking about expanding to mushroom, possibly crab, chicken, pork. Talking about ice cream flavors. I'm not talking, when I say look at things from the perspective of another person, I'm not talking again about changing the gospel or essential theological truth in which we should be grounded. 
But in the words of the Apostle Paul, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Put the interest of another before yourself. Those of you who are married, put the interest of your spouse before yourself. This is the way to fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. Secondly, we're to walk humbly with God and other people, to love kindness, to do justice. Be quick to hear and slow to anger in what you write, say, communicate, post. The Apostle James wrote, let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for the anger of man does not bring about the righteous purposes that God desires. That's a critically important verse. The anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. A lot of people who explode in anger justify their actions saying, well, God has righteous wrath. My anger is just righteous anger. After all, Jesus drove people out of the temple with a whip. Be very slow to compare your anger to Jesus' anger. <laughs> Jesus' anger is sinless anger. God's wrath is holy wrath. Ours is not. Ours is tainted with our human sin. And James says the wrath of man does not bring about the righteousness, the righteous purposes that God desires. So be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. Many of us could do with a thorough reading and meditation on the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 19 says, When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever strains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 17 and verse 27, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and who has cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is, he is deemed intelligent. You know, I noticed something years ago when, when email became a popular form of communication, and that is that people would write things in an email that they would never say to you face to face. They would display a degree of anger and harshness in an email especially one that was sent as a response to something, one sent hastily, that they would never say to you face to face. The ability to put something out there quickly is a risk, whether it's an email or a text or posting something. Before you do that, before you respond, before you put something out there for all the world to see, it might be good to ask the question, how's this going to reflect on the gospel? How's this going to reflect on my Lord Jesus Christ, who I, whom I am called to represent as his ambassador? Be quick to hear, slow to anger. Number three, put walking in love over insisting on personal preferences. It would be difficult to stress strongly enough how important it is to God that we Christians love one another. It should be our guiding principle if we are in Christ. It is the law of the new covenant. It's the law Jesus gave when he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. The Apostle Paul writes about this in remarkable words in Romans chapter 13. 
verses 8 through 10. Notice uh, what he says, and then we'll go into chapter 14. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Do you hear those words? The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, any other commandment, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wow. All the Ten Commandments summed up loving your neighbor as yourself? Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Fulfilling the law, summing up the law, fulfilling the law. It's the love mandate. And then Paul goes into Romans chapter 14. I, I recommend uh, studying this chapter, maybe taking a little time on your own to read through Romans chapter 14. It's so remarkable to me. It's dealing with an issue that's really not an issue for, for us Christians in our world today, but the principle is, is timeless and applicable for us. In the day of, in the, the New Testament time of the Apostle Paul, one of the uh, questions early Christians wrestled with had to do with dietary laws, whether certain Old Testament dietary laws applied. And chapter 14 of Romans begins this way. Paul writes, As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So apparently some Christians believed that as believers, they needed to adhere to certain laws or rules and they couldn't eat meat. Paul actually says they're a little weaker in their faith for holding that view. It was not Paul's view. And notice what Paul himself is, says in Romans 14, verses 14 and 15. He writes, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He's talking about foods. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. In other words, I'm, I'm persuaded, Paul says, you can eat the meat you want to eat. You can eat crab or shrimp. You can eat uh, pepperoni pizza this afternoon. It's not unclean. Jesus declared all foods clean. Paul said, I not only know this, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. I'm really sure about it. But notice what he says. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. If you go to have dinner at your brother's house and he's of this weaker conscience, he holds this point of view, which is not an essential view, but one that he holds. And your actions grieve or trouble him. You're not walking in love. What's he saying? He's saying the same thing he said elsewhere. Put the interest of others above yourself. This law Walking in love toward others is so important that we should put it over our own preferences. And again, I stress, in marriages, a commitment to walking in love over personal preference is critical. It is critical. Some of you find yourself struggling in marriages, but uh, we all do at times. Certainly, I include myself in that. We have to lay down our rights. We have to put the interests of others above ourselves. Finally, if we're to be a people who are different, if we're to be Micah 6-8 Christians, if we're to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God, be willing to be a peacemaker in a divided world. 
After all, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. You and I are to be light in a dark world, salt in a corrupt world, peacemakers in a divided world. And again, my hope for our church is that we will be known as an oasis of love. People who are tired of the hatred and anger and arrogance in our divided world would come here and find something very, very different where people love the Lord Jesus Christ, love one another, and walk in accord with his word and walk humbly with our God. Would you join me as we pray about that today? Father, we come now in the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, our Savior Jesus. Lord, we can only walk as you'd have us walk if we have the power of your Spirit at work within us. Father, we pray right now that you would enable us to live out your law of love, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with you, and to convey your love, your steadfast love, your kindness and humility to the world around us. Lord, I especially want to pray for marriages right now where there is stress and where there is strain. I pray you would bring humility, the willingness to see things from a different perspective, the willingness to put the interests of the other above ourselves. Father, would you also bring encouragement to your people today? Would you remind us of your steadfast love? And may we give you glory with our lives. In Jesus' great name, amen. As our worship team leads us in uh, this next song, a particularly beautiful song, I think, I just want to say thank you. If we were worshiping together, we'd be passing a basket for the ham here cards and offerings now. I'm just reminded to thank you for your continued financial support of our church. I cannot tell you how much we appreciate that. And uh, do invite you to send us your prayer request to fill out those ham here cards online. And uh, now let's continue to worship the Lord together.